have some aspects of that. So hopefully you'll, you'll see that we're not really losing that, that whole train of, of you know, doctrine and piety that we've been covering through both Titus and Peter. So there's going to be a thread of that in, in our new study as well. So we're, we're beginning this new series on, on the Heidelberg Catechism this week. Just so you know, the elders have been discussing for a while, uh, you know, the last couple of months actually, what kinds of creeds and confessions and other associations that we want to align uh, with and, and let others know about. And, you know, a catechism, for those who don't know, a catechism is just uh, instruction or teaching that tends to be more... Is that me, or is that the board? Okay, I will try to move around less than I normally do. Uh, hmm. Let's see if we're... Let's see if something else is going on here. Okay, is that any better? Okay, I think I can move. Okay, good, I can move. Okay, I think we're good. Might have been the antenna. Uh, what I was saying was we're, we're, we've been, we've had a lot of discussions about what other ty types of creeds. It's really, really important, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, too, but what other types of creeds, the, 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 the value of catechisms and creeds and what, the, what those do. And uh, the, a catechism like this is obviously geared for instruction where it's face-to-face -face and there is interaction. So I'm just giving you guys a heads up. Today we'll have a little bit of that, but going forward as we're studying the, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, it's great there, but it's mostly kind of in one area because going forward after this week, it's really going to be even more interactive and we really need to be encouraging each other and, and having this interaction. And the whole point is to equip us so that we can give answers and give concise reasons for this hope that we have. So that's what uh, this teaching is about. And there's all kinds of teaching out there. Most importantly, especially as, as our church here, we want to embrace those <laughs> those other teachings and confessions and creeds and catechisms that embrace scripture, God's word. That's the most important thing that has to line up with this first criteria. And we're blessed here at North Hills that we've got so many mature believers that are committed to the growth and faith uh, and following Christ. And, and while we do desire the deeper knowledge and revelation of scripture, we, we all need to make sure that the foundations of our faith are solid and that the wisdom of the world doesn't either subtly or overtly creep into our thinking and to our lives. Uh, in addition to this, no matter where we're at in our walk, we all have gaps in our knowledge. None of us, when we become a believer, instantly know everything there is to know about God and what the Christian walk is. So there's all of us that have different gaps in our knowledge and understanding, and certainly in the practice <laughs> That's always the toughest part, right? The practice of these truths. So part of being able to practice these truths is to know them well enough that they just become ingrained. They become part of our regular thinking that we, we know what that is enough to be reminded that when we start going astray that we can get back on track right away. So we want to make sure that our practice of these truths about what God's revealed all line up. And that's why we encourage things like Sunday school and small groups and books that we've got out on the table and uh, any of these opportunities where you have a chance to learn in a maybe a little bit different setting uh, with teaching that highlights different aspects of the Christian walk and what it means to be a Christian. Church leaders through the ages have sought out all, all the different ways they, they could communicate the, the good news of the gospel to equip Christians to think and live like God's called us. And that's very much the desire of the eldership here. I just want to let everybody know that this is very much the desire. We want us to all be thinking 
and living like Christians. And with that end, we want to teach and point everyone to resources that enable that. We encourage people to seek out some of these solid Bible-based teachings. And, and the Heidelberg Catechism is one of those resources that we want to be people to be aware of uh, as a tool for your spiritual growth. How many of, uh, just a quick show of hands, how many people have ever read or studied the Heidelberg Catechism? Okay, we've got a smattering of people here, okay. Uh, how, how many have ever studied any kind of a catechism? Okay, so there's, other, and there's some other very good catechisms out there, okay. Um, we, before introducing this particular catechism and its background, I, I would like to take everyone back uh, to the, the beginning of Luke. I know last week we just finished the book of Luke after a couple of years of being able to be immersed in that. But I would invite everyone to just turn in, their, in your Bibles back to the very first chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 1. And just the, the first four verses of it, because they're very, very important to kind of what we're studying right now. So Luke chapter 1, there we go. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that, we have been, that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. You see what's going on here? Theophilus didn't just pick up a Bible or a scroll somewhere and start reading and have all of this understanding. Theophilus was taught. There were oral traditions. People were sharing and teaching him uh, like, like pretty much everyone else. We've all received teaching instruction uh, on what the Bible is and, and how it's to be used. So the end goal of any kind of catechism or instruction is what the end of Luke just talked about, to get certainty concerning the things you've been taught. We want to be certain that anything else that we get taught, whether it's some other catechism or it's a creed or some other philosophy that comes at us, we want to make sure that that lines up with this. That's how we get the certainty. So, you know, this, this catechism, so we, once we understand, and once we under, this is most foundational and super important. When we understand the origin as well as the authority, and I'm sorry if I'm crackling again here. I might need to clip this somewhere else. Let's see if that's a little better. Okay. But again, when we understand the origin, the authority, the truth and the power of the Bible itself, we can now know how to interpret any other, any other teachings that we, that we encounter. And the catechism is like a map. If you want to think of it this way, the catechism is like a map that points us to these saving doctrines that are in the Bible. The catechism doesn't stand by itself because it's only meant to just point us in the right direction for our spiritual journey. The Bible is the standard. So we can, even if we're starting with, with something like a catechism there, 
the catechism's whole job is to point us back to God's word and give us that roadmap uh, of that. Uh, so it, the Bible is the standard that determines the truth of all teachings and catechisms out there. It kind of struck me, too, that the catechism is also an excellent way to prepare for sermons. And, and reading, through, reading through the Heidelberg again uh, kind of reminded me of this. Even in our prayer this morning, uh, there's a term that we use a lot called expository, expository hearing or expository listening. And really, having something like this is a great tool for knowing how to listen to sermons. As a matter of fact, that's the whole reason it was written, because when it was originally written, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, it was made so that it could be read before sermons were preached. So this would be part of, for those churches, hundreds of years ago, they would read through this, and then the sermon would be preached. But it would give, some peop give people better understanding of what was about to be preached and give you some, some context for some of that. So that was the whole purpose of, of why it was, it was come up with. So it really will help us with some of that expository reading. Uh, and, and reading uh, the original intro makes this very, very clear. I, I want to, um, you know, there's another intro. I mean, when you, when you, if you pick up a copy of the Heidelberg Catechism, you know, there's introductions and forewords that have been written more recently. But the, the original introduction that was written is, is very, very helpful in, in helping us understand kind of where this comes from. It says, it is deemed necessary that the minister read a section of the catechism to the people clearly and understandably before the sermon on each Sunday and all festive days. So unlike today, you know, most of us now possess multiple copies of our Bibles in our homes. Uh, that wasn't the case hundreds of years ago. So how, how do you equip people that don't all have copies or have a phone that can give them <laughs> all kinds of translations of the Bible in, in a, a second time? So this is the purpose of, of why this was put together. They didn't have all these copies uh, like we do nowadays. So memorizing these truths was very, very important. How, you had to memorize because you couldn't just flip it up on your phone. You had to memorize. And I think we would all agree that our attempts at memorizing things these days have probably slipped a little bit over the last few centuries from what people knew, uh, especially believers, what believers knew and, and uh, had memorized. Before I introduce you to the Heidelberg Catechism itself, I want to reemphasize why we are doing this study. Uh, there are important reasons for this kind of, that this kind of teaching is necessary, and I want to go back again to the, the, the original introduction to the Heidelberg Catechism to get a glimpse of why this is important. So what they determined when they went around seeing what was going on in all the churches around at that time, it became very, very clear that there were some very big gaps and some real concerns with what the learning of the people in, in the churches was. So what, why they came up with this, they said, the reason we need this is, in the first place, they rightly took into consideration the fact that inborn wickedness would get the upper hand and then pervert churches and civil governments unless it were countered in time by means of a salutary doctrine. In the second place, they had the express command of God in Exodus 12 and 13 and in Deuteronomy 4, 6, and 11, where the Lord says, and these words, the Ten Commandments, which I command you this day shall be upon your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
This is a crucial acknowledgement right off the bat that all humans have an inherited sin nature. Right off the bat. This is why, the, this, is why this is important and, and why it, we can make sense of this. If, if you start from that foundation that we all have this inherited sin, sin nature from Adam, this is the condition of mankind since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And we need to understand that fact and the consequences of that fact on families, churches, government, and in the entire world. And only when we, when we can do that rightly can we rightly assess our own lives and hearts as well as what's going on in, in all the world around us. And the second point that is made really clear is that it's a command of God revealed in his word, starting obviously with the Old Testament, which they're quoting in this introduction here, that we're to teach this way. And just like the passage we read in Luke, where the need for an orderly account of history is, is important, so that this is the facts of our Savior's life and works, and it was accurately and truthfully conveyed, how? By eyewitnesses. So you can have that certainty that Luke talks about. It was conveyed by eyewitness. Be certain about that. And we talked about the certainty of scriptures when we were going through 2 Peter as well and how we can trust it in this. And hopefully you can see that the need is real, that, that we have to understand we are all going to have gaps. And if we don't, this is something, this is just like the Bible itself, a, a tool that helps us with the Bible is going to keep us from falling into these other things that are going to uh, start to decay a church from within. Because if there's no foundation, there's no understanding of God's word, it's going to crumble. Because then you start just following man's wisdom. So I'm going to just provide a very brief background on uh, what the Heidelberg Catechism is and how it came into existence. Uh, this is not exhaustive. And I want to thank uh, Amy, wherever she is, uh, that uh, there is now on our website, I just found this last night, I, I, in, your, in your handouts, I, I've got a couple of links there on the back page for you that actually uh, can point you to, you can download the, the Heidelberg Catechism for free. If you like it electronically, you know, download a PDF. I mean, after a few hundred years, it's obviously public domain, so they can't charge you for it. But, but if you want to get a regular book, it's helpful. Uh, if you like to have you know, hard copy books or soft copy books, uh, it's a useful tool to have, but you can download it for free. Most importantly, and I'm not going to go into a whole long history of the, the catechism, because right on our website, and that, if you go to our North Hills website and go to the Sunday school portion, right down at the bottom, Amy put a link down there that will bring you to a really good, succinct uh, explanation and some of the history of the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'm not going to take a lot of time today so we can just kind of get into more of the discussion part. But there's a really good, uh, from Ligonier Ministries, there's a really good article, five minutes of your time, very, very worthwhile. Check that out. It really helps you see a little bit of the background of how this came into being and why it's just important and why this had to uh, all come together. So check that out as well. Um, but short version of this is that this was a very, very key document that was circulating dur during the time of the Reformation. Uh, and obviously we could do another whole study on the Reformation, we're not going to get into any, any of that right now. But suffice it to say <clears throat> that this was very important for the spread of the Protestant Reformation. This book was really key for that to take hold the way it did. 
the Heidelberg Catechism was first published in 1563, and it's been used by Christians for all this time now. So this is one of these ones that stood the test of time. And it, believe me, there were obviously hard and harsh critics uh, against it early on, but it's proven itself to be solid and reliable because it ties so clearly into Scripture. And that you can make all the comments and statements that you want, but if it still lines up with Scripture, then you've got problems with Scripture. And this is, this is one of the catechisms that really does line up very, very soundly uh, to that. Uh, so it's been around for a while. And uh, many of you, anyone familiar with like the Westminster Catechism? Okay, that's been around for a while. Most people have at least know at least one of the one of those questions and answers on that. What's the chief end of the chief end of man is to what? Glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? Most people know that, and that's a very important concept from that catechism. Um, but this predates that by over 80 years. So this has been around even longer. And the interesting thing about this is it, it summarizes the major teachings of the Bible in the format of like 129 different questions. And uh, it's got the question and then the answer. And, and many of these questions are, are, are very simple and can be easily taught to and understood by children. Uh, yet the truths that come out are really profound and very essential for Christians to grasp. As a matter of fact, this is funny, but I was reading something else on this just yesterday. This is almost, was kind of almost started as a, as a study guide for a youth group because in, initially it was basically for teaching the children. And I, I dare say that most adults now don't have the understanding of what the children did 500 years ago that were being taught this stuff. So we, we've kind of lost that. That's why we wanted to expose you to this and, and help you to see, understand uh, the validity and the importance of this. Um, I, I, again, it's, it's really profound and it's a really essential doctrines there. And I think a couple of the best analogies we can use to think of this, I mentioned before, it, it is very much like a map or a key to provide some clear and helpful direction and guidance uh, into the treasures of God's word. Maps let us benefit uh, from the journeys of others, right? They, they help uh, other people have journeyed down this road and they know the terrain. They can tell you how far it is from a place. This is the same kind of thing. It, they can tell us how to get to different spots with a map from somebody that's, that's been there. And the, the, the catechism is very much similar in that way. It, it helps point us to these things that we need to make sure we don't gloss over when we're reading through the Bible so that we grasp them. One of the features of this catechism is that it provides some additional detailed explanations uh, for one on the Apostles' Creed. A very large portion of, of the catechism itself goes into even deeper detail and, and explanation of the Apostles' Creed, which is, of course, the oldest uh, extant uh, uh, creed of, of the Christian church. So we can also see that the affirmations of the early church, if you think of it this way, we get to this helps us see the link that we have with our brothers and sisters over the last few centuries of following Christ and the revealed word of God. This, this shows us the link that's there, and it, it, it provides that information for us. Uh, and it also tells us how you know, these things have been faithfully handed down and taught through the generations because they haven't really had to really edit this very much. There's a few things, small things here and there, but 
this still is pretty much mostly the way it was originally written because some people really took the time and explored. And so if they were the, the map makers, they'd spend some real time checking out this, going through this journey and finding out where everything was. So they've got some real helpful insight on there. So it's, it shows the unity that we have with believers over the centuries, or in this case, millennia, right? Uh, certainly the, the strength of the catechism is how strongly it ties the questions and the answers directly to the Bible, and I've mentioned that before, but this does a really good job of, of, of doing that. And the way it's set up is really similar to, to many scripture memory programs. If anyone's ever done any scripture memory programs, there's a lot of the, the repetition. You get used to reading something back and forth. In this way, it's like question and answer. And actually, the, the way it was originally intended was that uh, especially the young people would be reciting it back. So when we get together, uh, I don't know if we're going to have the quiz and have the, you know, everybody's got to recite it back really quick when we do the questions and answers, but that was the original intent. And the more that we can practice that, like, here's the question, even if you don't use the exact same words, we should be able to give a concise answer. If we, know, if we understand the question as believers, we should be able to give a clear and concise response to any, any question about, about that. We should be able to explain that to anybody that, that asks us. So again, it's, it's set up uh, so you know what to expect here, that you read and recite and remember these short questions and you can tie them to a fairly short and concise response. And they're kind of like bite-sized theological concepts and biblical doctrines that can be memorized and discussed by believers at home or in small or large groups at, at church. Uh, my family studied this, I was just, Derek and I were talking about, I think it was about 15 years ago that we went through this as a family and just did this, something we went through week by week because it's set up so you could have 52 weeks worth of study on this. Uh, literally, it's got multiple questions for each week, couple, two or three, four questions per week, questions and answers, get familiar with that so you get familiar with the Bible. It, um, there's also, it breaks out into three main sections. There's an introduction, we're just gonna do just a little bit of the, the, the couple, the two introductory questions this week, the questions and answer, and we'll have some time for discussion and, and feedback back and forth on that. But after those two introductory questions, it breaks into three main sections. And at the very minimum, we're going to make sure that we cover at least one day of the, of the teaching from all of those three sections, okay? So that's our plan going forward after this week. We're gonna make sure we have at least one teaching from each of those three sections. And those three sections are, uh, the first one deals with man's sin, and the key word here is misery. Think about this, we'll explain that in a minute. The first section, again, deals with uh, uh, man's uh, sin and misery. The second section, about the way of deliverance, and that's the most important thing, that's what's been done for us by Christ. So deliverance, what's the way of deliverance? And then the third shows the expected life of gratitude. So if you remember those three things, misery, deliverance, and gratitude. The gratitude is the how we walk, right? That's, that's how we are going to respond uh, to what we've, been, uh, what we've been given. And that's what's expected for those uh, that are truly saved. So it co covers a lot of very important foundational truths needed for clear understanding of what it means to be a faithful and obedient Christian. So as I said earlier, doctrine and piety is kind of what this is, is teaching us if, in a nutshell. So we're gonna be studying for a few weeks. We're not gonna cover all 52 weeks, just so you know, we've got some other topics that we're gonna be covering uh, for the rest of the year too, but we are going to, I wanted, we wanted to make sure we get an exposure to this as a great resource for teaching 
uh, all of us and our families and, and uh, friends and loved ones. There is, um, I, I'll just give you a couple, since we're not going to have time to go in, I took a couple of random just ideas or uh, things that are covered out of this so you know what else is in here since we're not going to cover everything else that's in here. But just to give you a couple of examples of things that are covered within the Heidelberg Catechisms is how are the Ten Commandments divided and organized? How are they set up? What, what, what's, and there's questions and answers for each of those. And then for each of the Ten Commandments, then it goes into even more detail about questions and answers that we can memorize to know what that commandment is about and what the purpose of that commandment is. Uh, another question uh, from, from the Catechism is, what is the Lord's Prayer? And it goes into some details, questions and answers, back and forth, so we can remember what is the Lord's Prayer and what, what's the purpose of this. Uh, another great question, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Why is prayer even necessary for Christians? If we've got a sovereign God who's in control of everything, why do we need to do that? Well, there's questions and answers that address all of that. So this, this study, as I mentioned early on, this study is meant to be uh, participatory, and so I just want to, with that said, that's the quick, short version of the background. I encourage everyone, please, if, even if you don't get to those other websites, go to the link at, and on the North Hills website and go check out that history of the, the Heidelberg Catechism. It will really help you understand what this is about and uh, the purpose of this. So, first two questions. The first one, and I put that on the, on the back of your outlines too, is what is your only comfort in life or death? Now, I'm going to read the answer in just a minute, and we'll discuss why comfort. That word comfort, we, we kind of sometimes use in a little bit different context, I know, but but we're going to come back to this. Really important. But why, why comfort is one of the greatest needs and what things people substitute for true comfort. That's what we're going to be discussing here. So in your minds, get ready to start talking about that because that's what we're going to be talking about here in just a moment. And also um, be ready to discuss why only Christians can ultimately experience that true comfort. So the answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life or death? The answer to that from the catechism is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation, Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. This first question is of great, great importance for, for all of us. Uh, from a biblical perspective, why do we need comfort? Okay, so get ready on the mic because this is where everybody's got to participate here, okay? <laughs> so why, from a biblical perspective, why do we need comfort? And I'll give you a, a hint in case you're trying to figure out what, why we would need comfort. Think Genesis 1 through 11 or 1 through 6 or maybe Genesis 1 through 3. So why do Christians, why is comfort so important to Christians? Why, why is that an issue? Why is a comfort needed? Maybe another way to put that. Up here, Mike. Yeah, there, up front. 
So when I think about comfort, I immediately go to assurance, the assurance in the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was reading some old Proverbs where it goes back to uh, 14.26. It says, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. His children will have refuge. But there's another one, what I always run to, is in my rest. And that assurance is, it says that the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, unscathed, or visited by evil in their rest. The comfort of that to me is the assurance that I have in my God. That, that pretty much sums it up for me. Yes, that's the comfort. That's the comfort that we get. And also, what, what is the reason in the back? The reason that we need the comfort, that's, the, that's the, what Derek just said is, is the answer for how we get that comfort. Yeah, the reason we need comfort is because we're separated from God because of the fall, because of sin. So I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. And the reason why we have affliction is because of the fall. Uh, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did everybody get that? We, we need that comfort because we are separated and, and we're at enmity with God. We've got big problems. Us being sinful and God being holy, we've all inherited that nature. That's why we need the comfort. Any other thoughts on, on, on that particular question? Again, go ahead. I was thinking that, you know, that when God created us, he created us to live in the garden, perfect, the perfect garden. Mm -hmm. So in seeking comfort, we're seeking that, that garden again. And yeah, we're not we going to find it here. Right. Get, you understand that? We, we know that there's something wrong, right? Is there anyone here that d doesn't know that there's something wrong with this environment that we live in now? We all yearn for being back at the garden. We had paradise, and paradise has been lost. What a huge thing. We have lost paradise because of sin. And now we need comfort because things aren't what they should be. There's that paradise that, that, was, that was lost, and because of that, then sin multiplied, then death reigned, and then the world became a dangerous place to, to be. That's our reality right now. That's why we need comfort. What other, what other counterfeit comforts do people pursue? I think this should be an easy one for everybody. What are the counterfeit comforts that people are pursuing in this world today, as opposed to what Derek shared? Yeah. I would say um, lots of entertainment. Like entertainment is a huge TV. one. Um, other find comfort in money. Um, I guess, I mean, people look to lots of things, like on the topic of money, like banks, to make sure that they keep their money safe mm -hmm. and things like that. Or and like safe homes. Safe homes. Instead of relying on um, God. Good stuff. Very good. Th those are some 
perfect examples. We, we have some more here. Food. <laughs> food. <laughs> yeah. If our store of food's fine, then we're comforted, right? <laughs> what else? What, what are some of the other things that you see, not only yourself, but uh, people around you striving for? Because Christians aren't immune to this, right? We sometimes get sucked into all these different things for comfort. What, what other things do you see people moving towards instead of the comfort of Christ? Just the tangible things of the world, like you know, our family relationships, people, friends, yeah. even your church body. You know, you yeah. can find comfort in anything other than Christ, because you know the things that, that are here are very tangible, and we like tangible things. Yeah, yeah, we all want things that we can touch to have our comfort in, right? It's very, very easy for us to get into that. Is there another? Were you raising your hand? Which? Oh, there we go. I think, you know, we can take a lot of things that are, are good. Anything that is good, but that we overdo can be bad. Right. And I know for me, like, uh, you know, when we've seen, uh, whether it's inflation or things get kind of crazy, these last couple of years have been uh, just cause for some people, even myself, to become anxious. And for myself, it's been to control it. I mean, I've got my, my little storehouse, I've got my, my family set up, so if something happens, we're good. But then that level of anxiety and the, the control then becomes sinful. Having things a guard and having things, you know, some water and some things set aside, those aren't bad things inherently. But taking those good things and those skills to then make sure that my family is good is a bad thing because now I've tried to control it and now I'm going towards these things as opposed to, all right, Lord, what do you have for me to do today? What is set, of, set before me and to do a good job doing that? I take it. And I try to control those things, and that becomes then sinful. That's a good point. I, anybody else ever been guilty of that before? <laughs> I, I think the other word for that, really, when, when I listen to you talk, is this, my, comfort and security, right? We seek comfort and security in some of these things that we can control. <laughs> but we're not in control. So that's a false sense of security, right? So great answers. I hope you guys are all benefiting from, from hearing what the rest of the brothers and sisters are saying here. You know, people pursue pleasure and power and prestige and leisure and entertainment. And so the, the, the last part of that question I, I would pose to you is, so why are Christians the only ones that can really have true comfort? So if you're going to ask, if someone asks you, how, how can you be, feel secure and, and, and have this comfort why is it that only Christians can have that comfort? Because, uh, you know, those things are transient, and so they're temporal. Right. And so they are fading away, and we have a comfort that is eternal that mm -hmm. doesn't fade away. And also, those things are given by God, and we realize that. We know all things come from God. And so that's our comfort in that. Well said. Our comfort is in the one who gave us all these other things that we're trying to find comfort in. Uh, the origin of all that's really, really important. So. Any other thoughts on why we should be more comforted and more secure 
than anyone else. The second, oh, go ahead. For one thing, what I was thinking about is that uh, for as long as we live in this world, which is full of pleasures and everything, because we know that this world is not ours. We are temporary people in this uh, physical world that we live in. Because the promise of God is uh, when he takes him up, uh, us up to be, he'll be in a pleasurable uh, place with him. So there's a lot really within this world of uh, too much pleasures and things that go around anywhere you go because we still live in the flesh. And the flesh in us is trying to be snared in the traps of the world. So we need the continuing comforting word, prayer, fellowship, where, the, where Jesus is lifted up. Until the Lord takes us up to be our own, to be his own, we are going to be in this miserable world. And most Christians know that. Yeah, um, to me, I think um, the best thing to like have this comfort is to trust and obey. And um, I, I normally like this hymn that goes, trust and obey, there is no other way mm -hmm. to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So these um, simple two words, trust and obey, I think are the ones that can help us to be comfortable in life and in death, that even though troubles may come, even though problems may come, we just have to trust in him because he said that my word will never pass. So his word is the same when he said it in the book of Isaiah, in that age, it's the same today to us and it will be the same tomorrow to the next generation because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So I think that should be one of the encouragement that just trust, trust in him and obey his word. Amen. A and that's why we're studying this right now, right? We want the reminders of how to trust and obey. W we need that. We got one more over here. Well, one of the main uh, themes that's been uh, pounded from our pulpit over the last couple of weeks has been the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he has prepared a place for us in his presence forevermore. I take great comfort in knowing that he has done that for me. Amen. That's how we can have comfort. We know he's, we just, fit, we just finished the book of Luke. And we know that his, his work is finished. Stuff that we could never do. Christ has accomplished. We have that kind of hope. We have that comfort that nobody else can have if you don't have Christ, because everything else is going to be transient. We've got enough time to finish the, the, the last question here, um, which is question two in the intro. So what do, you, what, what do you need to know in order to live and die in this comfort? And the answer from this given is first, first, and this is really important, first is how great my sin and misery are, second, how I'm delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. 
So to live the Christian life means that we first of all acknowledge how great our sin is toward a perfect and holy God, and that we understand our helpless state. So what does that look like? So if we understand that, how great our sins are, what, what does that look like? Or what, is, what happened in your thinking? I'll ask, again, as believers, we want to share with other believers, other people who are, are coming to know Christ, this is your opportunity to share what that took in your walk. We all have different testimonies. But share what that looks like to understand that we're not perfect and that we're, we're actually miserable without God. Please, this is a great opportunity to share here. Yeah, I was actually talking, I think, to Adam about this a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, it's, it's always good for us to God to reveal the depth of our depravity and our sin to us, the specific areas in which we struggle with sin so we can confess them and repent and turn. But the danger in always having your sin placed before you is that you can fall easily into incredible amounts of discouragement and despondency and just self-loathing of how, how sinful you are. And that's why I like, so first, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and my misery. Um, you have to remember, if you're, if you're going to pray and ask God, show me my sins so that I might grow and be more like Christ. Remember to follow that up with, and show me the goodness of the gospel so that I'm not always just in dwelling in that pit from which you delivered me, but my eyes are again freshly set upon the good news of the gospel and what Christ has done to deliver me for, uh, from that. Do you see the importance of the way these answers to these questions help us, though? Like, like Nick just pointed out, uh, that's a key thing. We have to understand how bad our sin and misery is, but we also need to be ready to get dragged back out of the dirt there and understand how we're saved. And it's a complete answer to that question. This might be an obvious one to a lot of people, but if you notice under the questions, uh, it'll say 1, 2, and 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. For an example... How great are my sins? That's something to contemplate. Because by doing that, we then fear God, which is a healthy thing. In fact, it's the instruction of wisdom to fear God. But if you notice, um, number one, Romans 3, 9 and si Romans 3, verse 9, it says, how great is my sin? Paul is indicting everyone. Um, in verse 9, he says, what then, are Jews any better off? Not at all. For, uh, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. So any, the catechism's pointing out to us scripture verses there. I just thought it might not be obvious to everybody, but um, when you look at one, two, and three, you can actually look at the answers and it reflects um, all that's being said there in those answers, the yeah. scriptural support is right there. And uh, so it's good. Yeah. Again, uh, again, hope you're, you're seeing the tie. <coughs> the Bible is, is <laughs> what, what this is all pointing to. What else? I mean, what other things, did, what did it look like in, in your life? We've got a couple, just another minute or two, but anybody else want to share about what that looked like when you came to the understanding and, and the knowledge of, of what uh, uh, that your helpless state was and, and how, how great your sin and misery was. Any, anybody want to share anything else? Oh. What about, um, where does that lead us to? We kind of talked about that a little bit, but 
I, I think you just brought that up too. Where does that lead us? And Nick brought that up as well. How I'm delivered. So we have to start from that place of really understanding that we're broken and that that brings us to the point of realizing there's only one way I can be saved. I can't fix myself. I, I, I can't rely on my own good works or deeds or lifestyle or anything else or memorizing X amount of even scripture if I'm not changed by God saving me through his son. That's, that's how it works. And then lastly, um, how do we respond? Gratitude. We're kind of running out of time here, but just remember those three things. That, that gratitude is the response. So the last part of that, after recognizing who we are, recognizing the only possible remedy for it, is also then being grateful for that. And that's what the rest of this catechism starts teaching us. How do we live? How do we live? And we've been talking about that in Sunday school for the last couple of months, right? In, in Titus and in Second Peter. We'll actually help, uh, again, meet out some more of this as, as we go through the, uh, the, the, the talk and the, the teaching on this. I just want you to all prepare. And this was, I, just so you know, I, I've been so blessed to see all these people responding and that's where we want to be just so you know for the next few weeks be ready and in your in your your outlines there there's even a, a what next week's teaching is going to be on so if you could read the the passages there and come prepared to be able to discuss some of this because this is supposed to be interactive so we can help each other remember and whether it's and not just here but then be able to remember outside of here so we can remind each other about the truths because we 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 understand the questions and we ourselves are learning how to give good, solid answers for that. So again, appreciate your participation. That's what the rest of this is going to be about as we study through Heidelberg. Give just a really small, short intro next week before we get more into just the questions. Because these questions and succinct answers are really, really important. So I, again, I encourage you to go out and uh, go to those sites and get the download or, or get a copy of, uh, of the, the actual book. Um, and I'm going to leave you with this one passage, which is about, you know, these questions actually refer to these passages. I'll leave you with this passage from Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless, lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth, for your word that lays us open and shows us our sin, for your word that shows us the only path out of the curse of sin. And Lord, uh, for your word that also shows us how we can live in a way that shows our thankfulness and gratitude for all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, that we can study this together and to sharpen each other's iron, Lord. I just pray that you would bless all of us that are, that are studying this, Lord, that we would, would have more zeal and more desire uh, to learn more of this and, and understand it and, and internalize it so they can always be ready to give an answer of this hope. So Lord, thank you for this time. We praise you and just want to continue to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.